I'm doing good. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I woke up not too long ago. I'm, I'm ready to get Jane Goodall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to be the monkey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're usually the interviewer, right? You know, podcast. Yes. Have you ever been interviewed before yourself? I, I've been on a, I've been, show? I've been a guest on a couple of podcasts, so it's, it's not my first rodeo. Oh, cool, cool. Okay. This is the first know. time I've been studied, though, so. Yeah. Well, that's a. I've, I've tried pretty. I, I've thought. I've done a lot of thinking about that part. You know, being an academic and like, you know, it, it, it's like, especially when it comes to these like meme communities, like you know that whole like Josh Rose Cinderella thing, right? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, like, I'm a little, yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, with JC. Yeah, and like the fucking what's it called? His whole thing where he was like, "Oh, I secretly went in and planted all these memes or whatever," or like <laughs> one of the causes of the mark. It was just like we uh, we we suffer from many delusions of grandeur in the uh, in the meme community. Yeah. Well, that's actually something that I've I've uh, I, I there's this um article I was just I started reading it like two days ago and it kind of I've had suspicions of it for a long time because I. Uh, I'm bipolar, right? And okay. mania specifically, it has these like linguistic, like a, a, I'm a cognitive science and, and like a psych, that, that's like the, the field that I'm, I'm working with. But um, uh, so from a psycholinguistic perspective, you can analyze like a lot of the poetics of like bipolar disorder, like manic speech and manic discourse mm -hmm. in relation to like, you know, schizophrenic discourse, right? And like how those like kind of like, you know, schizophrenic on one end has a lot more like it's it's incongruent with the mood right it's a lot more difficult but um uh, manic on the other hand it's like they have this idea that it comes from this kind of like runaway affective volitional tendencies mm -hmm. um uh, and like these kind of like growth points in language that like allow you to kind of diverge things really easily and it mimics like the way that we consume information online in a collective level right yes exactly. does that kind of make sense so it's like what one of the big things that spurred me want to interview you was from that um uh the, the intro that i'm going to use as an epigraph in my thesis actually was um uh where you're, you're talking about where you got the phrase schizotopia right it's just a passing comment made to somebody back on the first meme page most unhinged insane boomer dms every day <laughs> but <laughs> yes. um, yeah living in a yeah in a fragmented schizophrenic culture um uh everybody had their own personal conspiracy rico case that they were absolutely convinced of and couldn't talk them down from it right it's like there's definitely something to this like model of the internet as being like you know it creates these echo chambers, right? It, it has this ability to like cause like idiosyncratic worldviews that isolate some people from others, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, if we think there's a collective brain that's like full of these like, you know, maladies, but then we move from that to like a neurodivergence model, then it's like, you know, we have this like schizophrenic system on like the whole in terms of like all of these different voices like interacting, right? Mm -hmm. But it isn't entirely like, you know, um, uh, you have these different driving forces and that gets into like the, and now it'll finally relate to you and then I'll have you talk as much as possible. Um, uh, but um, uh, when you look at the network structure of like communities like QAnon and like, um, uh, like other sort of like, you know, um, I mean, there aren't really any like QAnon where it like shows us as explicitly, um, uh, but it's like, 
you have this phenomenon of niche online micro celebrities that are like the most like they're the um uh, key producers of content there's these individuals that produce the majority of the content then you have like this ambient haze of like varying degrees of distribution where it's like people have like they're just reposting or resharing or like their account um uh is like you know their their stories are looked at or some shit like right. that right it's like there's the explicit prosumption or like production consumption versus like just being a full like lurker type of vibe, right? We can kind of present that continuum. Okay. And it's like, it definitely seems like it's those individuals, the schizo posters, these, these, these people that are in these flights of ideas just producing mass amounts of content at like various intervals or whatever. The internet really enables that, right? And it takes advantage of that. And if anything, it is the driving force of the internet is this kind of ability to take advantage of and kind of like mediatize these fringe belief systems that are produced by these like, you know, get so divergent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, um, so uh, yeah, so I guess that's how we can start things is that how do you kind of like, you know, get involved with, would you call it the theorygram or politogram or how would you kind of describe this community that you've been, you know, doing interviews or like podcasting about for a pretty long time? Um, so I guess, yeah, the distinction between theorygram and politogram, um, and obviously this is all just on Instagram, but these are names for these little sub communities within Instagram uh, or even within um, uh, Twitter. Uh, but politogram is the people who are a little bit more real politic oriented, a little bit more into mainstream politics, political science, having actual coherent political ideologies. And I have interviewed some people who I would say were politogram people. But then theorygram would be the people who are more interested in theory. So Deleuze, Marx, Bataille, um, the occult, whatever, the the weird stuff, the real weird stuff, the the more the yeah. more heady stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And and so, but you, you've kind of interviewed people across. But so you're presenting. There's this kind of like spectrum from the more politically oriented to then the more like theoretical, and that even gets to like the esoteric. Yes. Right. With my so, with with my show, I've I've tried to be as full spectrum as possible. Usually what I'm looking for is novelty. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, someone who believes in QAnon, well, that's kind of a dime a dozen, but somebody who believes in QAnon who came to that conclusion because they did so much acid that they astral projected in their float tank. And of course, I'm talking about our old friend, our old friend uh, Float Universe. But that, that's, that's a little more interesting, right? So that's, that's the person that I'm going to want to talk to about that. Or, you know, there was... There's witch talk and there's lots of people or young people who are getting into witchcraft and um, talking about that on TikTok and other social media. That's somewhat interesting, but one of their leaders getting canceled, and of course I'm talking about Georgina Rose, that's a little bit more interesting. That's the kind of novelty that I'm, I'm normally going to concern myself with. Okay, okay. It's like especially these kind of like, you know, you have all these interesting demographics, right? They're able to kind of pick out the like, the specific you know narrative events and stuff um well um uh uh, uh 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 okay so how did you get your start you say you started with a, a meme page right yes um, or I, I think that's yeah so 
what got you to first start your meme page and then how did it kind of develop into this area like one thing i, I I'm, I'm interested in is how you started to forge these kind of like you know more legitimate relations online to the, like like where you're able to go and like you know interview people and i'm assuming that you have like um uh, some pretty good like actual social connections with people online as opposed to I mean, maybe you don't. But, no, I've actually know. made a lot of friends. I have. I've made a lot of actual yeah. friends. Okay. So some of these exactly. people, some of these people, I've become friends with and met in real life, and like it's not um, the the. It, it was so weird. Like um, uh, Dank Deleuze, that's a guy yeah. who I knew entirely through the internet, entirely through Theorygram. Um, he, he he would come onto my podcast, and we actually met in real life recently. Um, and hung out, got some drinks. And what was so surreal and odd about that is it did not feel like I was meeting this person in real life for the first time. Cause we'd been, we'd been talking for so long, um, and had been friends for so long on the internet that meeting them in real life didn't feel like it was the first time. It was a very, it's a very strange thing. Um, yeah, so it's like you, the, the whole parasocial relationship thing, uh, is interesting because sometimes you realize that, um, not always, but sometimes you realize that um, the the screen, how to put it, the screen isn't uh, as distant as you as you might think. Yeah, that's a big thing that I've started to notice in this research. It's been just kind of because I've been like interviewing people from like um, uh, I don't know if if you you know um uh, uh in in or like uh, started out Catboy to lose. Heard of yes. that one? Yes. Yeah, so they had their, like, server, right, that, that ended up dying, like, Nomadic War Machine. But um, I was going around there to try to, like, I started some reading groups to try to, like, you know, gather up people and, like, you know, for, at first I was just kind of, like, there were reading groups. And I was like, this is kind of cool. So I was like, I'll start a reading group. And then, like, you know, I saw a QAnon documentary that I thought was really interesting. And I was like, oh, you know, this stuff actually seems to have, like, you know, influence to be able to break into other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then I kind of fell down more down some, you know, rabbit hole vibes or whatever. But um, uh, by starting those reading groups, I was also that's when I kind of like was like, okay, there's definitely some benefit here, just in terms of like, you know, people getting to know each other and like an intimate level, like way online. But in a lot of ways, it actually like it, it. For one thing, it definitely isn't just a holistic deficit, right? It's kind of like parasociality it isn't just like a blunted form of sociality because actually there are certain like affordances that you gain from like the online field mm -hmm. or like the online environment that you otherwise wouldn't have. For instance, people oftentimes they'll open up a lot more because they don't have like the inhibitory gestures or like, you know, facial stuff, especially if you're manic, right? Like mm -hmm. you can't it's harder to tell when people are getting irritated or whatever. And so it's like people will just talk for the longest time, anyway. um, uh, which is kind of ironic. Um, but um, so, yeah, if you want to talk more about how you started to develop those like online relationships from originally starting your, your meme page. Oh, I think a lot of it is you, you, you know, I started making meme i was basically making memes full time at the beginning of the pandemic because i had nothing else to do right um and i was like well i i had been planning to start a podcast and had been talking about it for a while and then obviously because the uh, pandemic came along uh, i suddenly had a lot of time on my hands and i'd already bought a microphone and everything so uh but then you know i'm 
a relatively unknown person. Um, so how do I build an audience? And so I was like, well, I'll, I'll start making memes. Um, and this is when I first was exposed to Theorygram and Theorygram was still very small and nascent. And, um, you know, it was, it was impressive to see somebody who had, you know, over 2000 followers or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. This is only like two years ago, but I feel like I'm talking about ancient times or something at the dawn at the dawn of civilization back at the dawn of civilization two years ago um back at the dawn of our breakaway meme civilization um but i low-key though i i was like trying to make the most like dense high effort memes possible as a way of like shocking Mm -hmm. people and now i kind of chuckle at myself because it's so I don't know, it's so properly unhinged, right? Like I'm just some guy alone in a room during the pandemic. I probably don't smell very good. And I'm taking like a full day to make one of these alt political compasses. I don't know if you, uh, I'm sure you've seen those before, but yeah, like, I love those. I, I, I wanted to take the alt. Pl- this is the one place where I really will blow smoke up my own ass. I feel like nobody mm-hmm. ever took the alt compass to uh, the heights that I did because I, yeah, would, I, I gotta would, say yours are pretty fire. Yeah. <laughs> I would try to make them as dense as possible and, and but also make them funny, but also try to um, uh, predict the future, you know, know to make them sort of hyperstitious or whatever so i would spend an ungodly amount of time working on those and at the time yeah. too i only had um i only had a um what were they called uh a chromebook i only had a, a chromebook which is not a very powerful computer i i, I, I had a, what was your me making process real quick like like it, when you were making one of these all political com- compass memes and that's like, the other thing was... i didn't even have photoshop i didn't even know photoshop yet so i was using i would just use like free photoshop programs and there'd be like other there's like other websites where uh, you know, it'll let you remove background, <laughs> but it'll only let you do it once in a day or something and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So I was, um, I call it, um, hobo shopping. I call it hobo, hobo shopping, shopping where you're like, you're, you're using the free, the shitty, um, the shitty, uh, free Photoshop to, to do whatever it is you want to do. So yeah, all of those early memes, um, it, it's funny. You, you, I'm, uh, not only was I trying to make them super dense and spending way too much time on them, but I was also hobo shopping them the whole time. So there was like yeah. very extremely high effort memes. Yeah, that sounds like it. I mean, they definitely came through. They were worth it. Um. Uh, okay. So you started out. You were. You were. You start out with your meme page, right? In, in order to build. Um. Uh. uh or your interest in podcasting. We're gonna do this meme page. You start like. You know, putting a lot of effort to them at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. At what point did you start like reaching out to other people on a more personal level, or where did you like, 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 let's say, like DMing people, or like, you know, a uh, 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 voice call, or just like, even if you started to notice like recurrent continuity in Instagram comment threads, is something I found somebody else talk about. I, I, okay, so I, I like, would say I would say a big rite of passage. Uh, in these communities is when you start getting added into group chats. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's usually once you've, well, you know, people maybe start to take notice. Like I remember fake Baudrillard, um, he reposted one of my alt compasses. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a big boon for me. And that, you know, cause he was like, uh, he was one of the bigger pages. He's kind of one of the early theory gram dudes. 
And so that's, mm-hmm. that was Senpai noticing me, right? And then I think a little bit after that, you know, I, I was added into this or that group chat. And when you start getting added into group chats, that's kind of when you, you're being uh, you're being promoted, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So, yeah, I'd like to hear more about these group chats, like in terms of um, uh, like were they it's like were they were they pre-established group chat that were just like a big crowd of just theorygram users were they like you know are there, are there clicks right of like sometimes like sometimes it's just one it more haphazard sometimes it's just one disgruntled fan who will add a bunch of pages that he likes and then the people who don't immediately <laughs> exit the group chat the people who stick around and talk to each other that's um, hilarious that becomes that that becomes a it, it, its own community that's so funny. <laughs> but is there some? It was just like a rando fan. That, that, has that happened multiple times, or is there one yeah. specific? It's happened to me multiple about? times. It's happened to me multiple times where it's just it's That's one person so who likes all of these pages, and they like they they add them all to a group chat and just see see who stays, right? And there's been times where I've been yeah. added to group chats, and I look at who's in it, and I'm like, nah, I'm not sticking around in here. <laughs> Immediately leave. Yeah. And there's other times where I get added to a group chat, and I, I take a look at it and go, oh yeah, I, I like these people. I'll stick around. Okay, so it's like the group chats themselves, there's like somewhat of an ephemeral quality. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. you know, the kind of group chat that you make with like your housemates that you're staying with to talk about fucking landlord stuff. It's not um, like a union. No, it's not. It's yeah. not like a, it's not like a, a secret, um, a secret uh, security council or something like that. It's it, those two are also ephemeral. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um. Uh, so then uh, uh, let's see. We're, okay, so we're talking about. Okay, so um, uh, you're starting. Um, uh, so yeah, how did how did uh, um, you start getting added to the group chats? Um, uh, and then so so it kind of has that like feedback loop effect, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like your people start to notice you more. They see you in the group chat. They see that you got reposted, and then you're posting more often. And then at what point did you decide to focus on interacting with other people, like? Or I guess you you kind of originally were otherwise because you had the intention for the podcast from the beginning, right? Yes, yeah. I I was going to do the podcast, so I remember I started reaching out to people to ask them to be on the podcast and got no replies because I was still I was still a low B. I you know I I think I only had like a thousand two thousand followers or something like that. Um, so I was still a low B and uh, nobody nobody got back to me. So I just made one episode by myself, episode zero. And just mm-hmm. me talking about a bunch of stuff and what I wanted to do and my theories about the world, I guess. And um, and then who what was the first episode I did? Oh, I think I got my friend. <laughs> I think I got my friend yeah. Stevie because he did know a lot about cryptocurrency and was like in, involved in that world. And he'd had his own uh, DJ EDM uh, company media project that he did. So he was a good person to interview but he was an IRL friend he was a person that I grew up with so yeah yeah I think that was the first person and then I think I got Dang Deleuze to come on the podcast um who else there was um oh that intimate feeling we did an episode about cancel culture and I met her because she posted a meme about getting cancel pilled like intentionally getting yourself canceled so you'd be inoculated against cancellation uh, that, <laughs> that i thought was so funny that i think i immediately reposted it um yeah. and th- that's another thing i think that's another way people start becoming friends um on 
theory grammar otherwise is that you know you start to admire other people's memes and you start to repost each other and when you see somebody repost you you're you're probably going to be a lot more um predisposed to liking them right yeah definitely i mean i think it's a cool thing about theorygram where you can get just such idiosyncratic like just meme forms i guess mm-hmm. like um i would think like probably the most explicit would be like Oh, what is it? What is it like Mars or it's like the purple one? Um, uh, uh, oh, memes of like Saturn. Purplish. Yeah, memes of Saturn. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, like, like you know, people who have like their very obvious like style and stuff, as opposed to like you go on like a random normie meme page or something, and it's just like kind of a collage of and, and know, random stuff that they picked up. Well, and it also gets into meme theft, um, which okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Memes are kind of the rap or basically like the visual art form of rap where you're taking other people's images and you're remixing them and you're putting your words on top of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can get into a debate about, you know, what is stealing somebody's somebody's meme? I would say the highest sin in memes, in my opinion, the highest sin isn't necessarily reposting someone's stuff without crediting them, but it's reposting them after editing out their uh, watermark or tag and i <laughs> mm, i've seen yeah. that many times i feel like that's the that's the highest and that's the lowest thing you could do yeah um that's not even like being lazy that's going out of your way <laughs> exactly it's not even being lazy it's going out of your way to pretend that something mm. is yours i think with somebody like memes of saturn a guy who sat down and was like i'm going to cultivate a very particular aesthetic that is so unique to me that you really can't steal his memes because when you see one of his memes mm-hmm. and it's not just that he always uses the color purple um but he, like even his whole kind of style and, and the way that he makes the collages that he does that are usually very elaborate yeah. like you you just mm-hmm. you know it immediately right it's like a picasso yeah. you just know it when you see it yeah there's definitely something to and that's how you uh, it's like I don't know. There's something really special to that. I think. I think it's like your content, like it has developed its own style for sure. And then also, like you know, there's other really minor ways that um uh, people do that or like can kind of. Have you ever seen like the Buddyhead account? No, I don't think so. Um, uh, I don't know. That's just some whatever. They they, they just have a, a way of like framing all their stuff so there's like a fire in the background so you can tell. Or it's like you know. What was like um a uh, fake Baudrillard's little like uh 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 it was the 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 frog seat or whatever right? Oh, yeah. Frog <laughs> that's right that's yeah right. <laughs> he right he had a couple images at the frog seat he also had that one specific image of Baudrillard that he would always use um, yeah he he had a couple of those where you would see them and immediately know so even when Elon Musk um tweeted one of his memes uh you immediately knew that it was a fake Baudrillard meme because it had the <laughs> It had the 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 little the bodyguard face he always uses. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's really cool. Um, uh, just because that that's that's something really different. I think that that it's really recent. Like in terms of like you know, like it's it's the pandemic putting everybody online. So like. There's something of like a mimetic acceleration or something like that, or a mnemonic. I don't know. 
you're thinking in terms of like ex- like distributed cognition and extended mer- memory stuff but yeah, well the meme um, that, yeah a meme usually kind of goes through a life cycle where it, it begins with a simple template everyone does their own kind of basic version of that template and then inevitably someone is either going to combine that with another template or, or they're going to subvert the original template um and that's it's usually a little bit after that that people will start posting hey if i see you posting this meme i'm gonna block you etc cetera, etc cetera. there's a little backlash period and then that meme dies for a while and then it may it may come back in six months to a year or it may never come back you you never know yeah and what about the ones that do come back right if we think about like um, i would say i would say it's usually because something happened in the real world that fit that template so well that somebody decided to it, it was too good to pass up I, I wish i could think of a good example off the top of my head but it's usually something like that yeah yeah that's interesting and then that because uh you know i think about the way that certain memes or like forms become canonized right right it's like you have all the different rage comics and whatever right but it's like what, what now we just got like wojaks right mm-hmm. and the wojak form has been like so like mushed around that it's like yeah what do you think about wojaks wojaks um i guess i don't have any strong opinions about wojaks i'm actually the thing i was thinking about the other day is that it, one okay it is interesting and this is something that fake andy warhol would talk about um he he was horrified in his words and I'm paraphrasing, but he was horrified in his words that people were beginning to identify themselves so strongly with cartoons, that that represented yeah. some some progression in our culture, or the uh, some progression of the spectacle that was like really disturbing and dystopian that people would identify with cartoons. Yeah. But I would say re- that that re- already... real quick, yes. um, um, uh, real quick, I can uh, that that is an interesting thing just because of um. Uh, we we naturally do we've done that since forever mm-hmm. and i can show a study on that and i'm going to type something real quick to remind that but then continue on your topic well, this I, is mostly a note for me i, I was just going to say um people have been doing that for a very long time and oh, people yeah, people have been identifying with you know computer avatars and, and characters that they play online or characters in movies or, or, or shows or even a lot of the old comic book, like popular newspaper comic book strips that people like to shit on um, today, uh, they're very like slice of life. And, you know, yeah. characters like Kathy or Garfield uh, or John from Garfield or whatever, they're supposed to represent the average person. And I, I don't know. It's just that's just not the Wojak thing isn't yeah. actually new at all. What's interesting to me is like what yeah. will replace the Wojak? Because I think my my guess is is that now that all of this AI generated art and imagery is getting so um, not just not just popular, but it's getting so um, efficient. I guess I'll put it that way. It's getting so efficient that pretty soon you'll be able to everyone will be able to have their own personalized Wojak. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everyone will be able to turn themselves into whatever you know cartoon character that they want, or or, or anything else, and that'll just become the norm. You, your your Wojak will be like your um, like your like your at like your tag, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Because people already have yeah. people get custom Wojaks made uh, just so that they yeah. can be the the cartoon character. I the one that I made of myself. Uh, it was just a, a selfie that I took a, a year or two ago. Um, it's me, but then I would intentionally put like Steve Buscemi eyes over my eyes 
and I would blend them to make me look as like ugly and sad as possible. So it wasn't even really a Wojak. It's just like a, an altered photo of yeah. me to make me look as ugly and weird as possible. And whenever I'd put myself <laughs> in a meme, that's what the, that's the image that I would use. So I guess, I don't know. Yeah. That was my anti Wojak, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause the, wo- it's, it's, um, uh, um, what was I it's like, if, um, you have this like, you know, ability to produce your own, like unique Wojak at will, right? If we think about this kind of like AI generated type of deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, then at that point, what, um, uh, what does that mean for NFTs? <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, well, that's a whole nother. I mean, NFTs as an attempt to monetize digital art, I think was a brilliant grift. Um, and yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that there were some digital, some digital artists who just made a fuck ton of money off of it. Um, and that's awesome. But and NFTs as a model of the future, I don't know, because yeah, if this whole, the thing is, I don't really have that much faith that the metaverse, um, is going to actually take off. Uh, I think a lot of yeah. people this might be the last straw for them where they're like, they're already tired of living on, in screen world. Why do they want to live in VR world? Um, yeah. And I just, I, I have a strong feeling that that that's not going to work. Otherwise, if it does, if people really do buy into the metaverse stuff, then I guess, you know, NFTs quote unquote will be part of that economy. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever, as it stands today, I think NFTs were, uh, an epic grift. I'm glad that some artists were able to make some money off of it. Um, otherwise, I think that NFTs are going to be the 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 a tracks of our time. They they're, they're going to be a discarded technology that people thought was really cool for a minute. Yeah. Okay. That, that's that's that's. I think that, that that's a. Yeah. It's um. Uh, what's it called? Like. Do you see any potential for? Like, cause you're talking about with, with the the crypto people, um, or you mentioned some crypto people, like being the first person that you interviewed. So mm-hmm. it's like, do you see any potential for blockchain in terms of like, you know, it, I don't think Urbit is set up on the blockchain, but isn't it trying to do some sort of decentralized like internet structuring? Um, so I, I only servers? know I only know a little bit about Urbit. Um, but I do have an Urbit planet and I've been messing with it a little bit and it is interesting. It's interesting to go on to a stripped down version of the internet where everything is peer to peer. Um, and there's no massive algorithm infrastructure, um, constantly pushing, pushing your eyeballs, pushing your attention, uh, grabbing at your dopamine, right? Or Urbit, Urbit is so simple, so stripped down that um, it, it's it's whatever you want to do with it, right? So yeah. that's cool, and I could see that as being a, a, a model for the future, but it, I don't know how Urbit or any other internet alternative is going to compete with this massive dopamine convection chambers that have been built by the legacy media and by the current internet yeah that's one of the big things that you know it's like that's the big enemy is just like the sheer addictive potential of you know these kind of technologies or more so it's like in order to like you know 
to beat Instagram, you have to be more fun than Instagram, right? In mm. order to beat TikTok, you have to be more fun than TikTok, right? Mm. But then what does enjoyment really mean when it comes to like online interaction, right? Like, is it just running through the, the, the like, you know, like swiping through and having a little like puffs out your nose every once in a while? Or is it like, you know, building the social relation over time that then is able to like prime you for getting more like, you know, enjoyment from like seeing familiar accounts and stuff like that? Um, uh, I guess, yeah, well, how would you, how would you think about enjoyment online and how we kind of fall a into lot of, I mean, addictive if dopamine loops? If you're talking about the average person, uh, I, I think they just want very basic, normal things. They want a little bit of validation. They want people to like their selfie or the pictures of their fishing trip. They like talking to their besties. They like, you know, checking in with mom and dad and stuff. And um, occasionally they'll get pulled into other things. They'll they'll get into an argument on a, a Fox News comment section or something like that. Um, if you're talking about the real extremely online people, whether that's like far left, far right, or part of some other niche community, there's some sadomasochism going on there. There is there's mm-hmm. some real sadomasochism where yeah. I think that the kind of game that a lot of these people play is that they're kind of projecting their own solipsism onto everybody else. Um, and usually it's, I, I think these people like to say the most outrageous things they possibly can Um to provoke a response in people and it's not about it's not even for a lot of these people i don't think it's about gaining followers or engagement or anything like that i think it's just about the the raw sadomasochistic pleasure of um hating on people and being hated on in return (laughs) yeah that makes sense there's just something about being able to build any kind of intensity or whatever when you know especially when other things, I mean, from from what I understand, one of the things I've researched in relation to that is that, you know, being able to do something in a deliberate and somewhat controlled manner, at least you believe you have control over it. It's like, oh, I'm going on the Internet and I'm going to get people to hate me and I'm going to hate on other people. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a very controllable situation. Cause it's like it's very rare that when you hate on somebody, they don't like, you know, also hit you back with hate so it's like actually a pretty predictable if um uh you know if if volatile so it's like that kind of predictability of interaction can um uh be and having control over it can be better than um uh, having to like or in comparison to whatever your offline life is where there's a lot of uncertainties and anxieties you know especially if you're not able to express those kind of frustrations um uh in real life so then you know the the internet becomes that that you know safe place to experiment with your identity construction or whatever but there's something to that you know yeah when he said solipsism because because that's a that's a term that comes up a lot in online discourse oddly enough um uh i'm curious how you define that uh there's a old terence mckenna quote where he's he's talking about the future potential for the for the internet. And I think he says something along the lines of, you know, in the future, everyone will create their own individual digital reality, their own little digital world, their own little virtual world. And then the, the most, the highest form of intimacy uh, will be that, you know, you, you let somebody into that world and you show them the, this, this creation that you've made. 
and it's oh, it's it's funny because that's so romantic and that's such an optimistic view of the internet and that's so terence mckenna <laughs> Yeah. Where instead, people indeed have built their own little individual worlds that are created in their own image, and um, it's it's not it's not it's not something uh, beautiful and intimate. It's actually it becomes a a, a kind of um, anti world, a cope reality uh, that then they have yeah. to go enforce on everybody else. Yeah, that's yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, your cope reality gets so strong that you have to force others to cope too to maintain it. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I mean that fits with um uh, uh what's it called? A lot of interesting cuz it's like when you have that kind of like that that's when you start talking about how you build like echo chamber communities mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh, my cope reality is very similar to your cope reality." And because we both like validate that, then we can serve as like, you know, this kind of uh, uh, be it's like the, the group radicalization or group think or like um, group polarization, I guess, is another phrase to use it. Where it's like, you know, if you have individuals who like believe the same stuff and you cut them off from other communication, they'll get more radical about their beliefs over time as right. they like converse about them. Right. And- so, uh, yeah. So the, what, the the model that I always point to is Heaven's Gate. I think Heaven's Gate perfectly anticipated um, everything that happened with online communities today. Because if you, if you look into Heaven's Gate, um, it wasn't most suicide cults, whether it's um, Jonestown or um, Am Shinrikyo, uh, it's usually very top-down. You got the, the yeah. head head dude at the top and eventually he orders the the murders or the um the mass suicide or whatever um charles manson another example of this if you look yeah. into heaven's gate what is so interesting about heaven's gate is there these super mega sci-fi nerds um that get into alternative spirituality like kind of new age influence stuff but of course, it's a very puritanical, Christian-inflected uh, version of New Age. And one of the head leaders, the female head leader, dies off. And then it's the followers who begin to push the remaining leader. Um, I, I can't remember the man's name right now because they all had weird pseudonyms. But it's the, it's mm-hmm. the followers who begin to push um, the head leader into things like... Uh, permitting castrations to go on uh, which they eventually did and it's probably the the followers becoming more and more um radicalized that end up pushing the leader into this mass suicide and i kind of think that that's sort of the perfect model for what goes on online where you you actually have leaderless cults um whoever the leader whoever they proclaimed leader whoever they're sort of holding up as the the model for the person that they um they're saying that they're doing these things in the name of um that leader is usually basically fictitious like it is it's it's the it's the group that is radicalizing itself yeah under what is essentially a meme (laughs) yes yeah exactly exactly That's funny. Okay. Um. Uh. That's super interesting. I mean, I, actually, in that statement, though, it there is a bit of contradiction. If you think about, I mean, uh, have you have you looked at like the original definition, like the growth of the term meme over the time versus like 
you know, its original use is like a portmanteau of mimesis and gene, and then now like the colloquial usage of the internet my, meme. My my, underst the, my understanding of it is the meme is just a successful adaptation, and that was Dawkins' use of it. Was there something yeah. before that? Oh well, with Dawkins' use, so it's like if you get into like the little the little gritties of it, it's like so with his idea of the meme um uh, as like being modeled after the gene is this idea of like okay cognitive capital is like transmitted in a way that is replicated it, it requires mimicking right i'm learning what you know because i mimic what you do because i've seen you you know use it and it works right mm -hmm. and the way that i learn is through mimicking you expressly and then dawkins also by modeling on gene flow creates this like you know this uh, and um uh, this important like um uh, or it has this like axiomatic assumption of like hereditary transmission right direct and linear right and then in reality most of our cognitive capital you know gain is is isn't just directly from our parents we have like you know a bleak right from like other teachers and like other random individuals right and then we also have like you know our peers and our own social groups but there is something about like um, power hierarchies and their ability to kind of like, you know, uh, uh, institutionalize and provide authority to like um, uh, certain concepts versus others. Right. Because that's the whole thing is that you're going to trust your parent more than your friend right. um, uh, and your parent more than your neighbor. Right. But the neighbor probably more than your friend when you're younger, um, uh, which has bad implications a lot of times. Um, uh, but um, so then uh, uh, what's it called when uh, we think, oh, then the last one, though, is oblique distributed, right? Which is in the, the idea that we don't actually ever gain anything or we can gain a cognitive capital or like a certain practice or a meme from an individual. But a lot of times it's gathering up a bunch of different episodes from a bunch of different circumstances from a bunch of different people that becomes abstracted over time, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we can continue to take that idea, right, already that diverges from like the conventional meme term right as like dawkins coined it right it's like we threw away like um uh, uh what's it called uh, a like gene meme model or like gene flow transmission model um we threw away the high fidelity transmission right by like talking about the distributed but it gets even more bizarre when we think about it in terms of like there being a cognitive capital economy right if we think about there being this relation between cognitive capital and social capital right and the way that they're exchanged then we have this idea of the expensive information hypothesis where it's like you know memes don't just flow they're not just alive on their own there's like there's an economy to meme usage right and then there is also and this relates to the bipolar thing the the, the um uh, the poetics of mania is that in in that in that um what's it called that that psycholinguistic analysis or whatever it started to read into the effective volitional tendencies which when pathologized start to have this at least autonomous qualities even from like the subjective report right so in that way it's like if we're taking this understanding that these like you know neurodivergent individuals who oftentimes um uh, uh, exhibit tendency or exhibit behaviors that coincide with like effective volitional tendency pathology right then um uh, uh, what's it called um effective volitional tendency pathology then uh, i think i might have got lost in my own jargon oh back to the mean thing that's what it is so um uh, 
you have um, that that's because you know you get this idea of meme magic where people are like memes are like these own you know alive type of deals, right? But then you have the other view where it's like, oh, no, there's the expensive information hypothesis. It's just an economy, right? That's being like, it's just trade, right? Well, it's actually a combination of the two because what is being economized is people's madness. And the madness itself is generative and autonomous in the way that we view these memes to be, right? right? And then if we think about, uh, yeah, so that's where I was trying to get to. So that's where the... And then this is why there's... There's another guy I know on here who calls me uh, Jungian delusion, uh, which should be contradictory, but <laughs> you can you can uh, you can view memes through both lenses. You could be like, no, memes are actually archetypes, and that's why certain memes succeed and why they appeal to people, and that that will make a lot of sense. That will make a lot of sense um, if you choose to look at it that way. Or yeah. you can, oh, and you would say like, you know, the, the internet is basically uh, a externalized um, uh, collective unconscious. Or you mm-hmm. can say, no, these are all just little nodal points and lines of flight within the gigantic body without parts that is the internet. Um, and it's all just endless uh, repetition and, and difference and, and becoming. Um, yeah. you can be, you can be, uh, properly delusion about it. And I think both, both perspectives make a lot of sense and that's kind of. The way it is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, cause that's what I think is like, that, that's kind of one of the big tensions is like, how do we like view memes, right? How do we view them as like you know, this is something really personal. This is something that like I've expressed, I've worked a lot of time on, right? And then it's also something that is immediately like just put into the trade, right? It's like you spend all of this time on a high effort meme and then it suddenly becomes something that other people are just using in the in the same exchange economy, right? right. Making memes can be kind of thankless, right? It's like when you were making those memes and not getting that much engagement at the very beginning, um, uh, what kept you spending so much time making those memes? I mean, because I think at the time it was a way to not have to think about the world outside. Um, yeah. Like it's it's funny to think about now, but you know, I, I live in I think we both live in California, but um, yeah. you know, Gavin Newsom was saying that like half the state was going to get COVID within six weeks or something like that, and. All of the stores outside were getting completely just bombarded and sold out. Um, the the uh, the local gun store <laughs> that I checked in with said that they were completely sold out of guns. Um, it, you know, so the vibe outside was actually really really disturbing. Um, yeah. And yeah, quarantine was bad. COVID was bad, but it never turned into. It, it never made it anywhere close to. Um, what I was imagining it was going to turn into just by what was going on in my immediate reality. So, you know, maybe that was just me coping and being like, I'm, I'm not going to focus on anything else other than making these incredibly dense memes because it's a way of not having to think about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's a longing, there's a longing for recognition. And I also think it's, it's like a video game where people will put in ungodly amounts of work into video games, um, Mm -hmm. even though you're not going to get paid for it. You're not going to get anything other than 
the, the, the recognition that you feel for whatever reason by getting a high score. It's not any different than getting a lot of likes or getting a high follower count. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that gamification, like, because people talk a lot about gamification, you know, but it's like, what is gamification? It relates a lot back to this idea, the, 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 the Wojak thing, and this idea of, like, the cartoons and stuff, because then it's like, what is a game? A game is just a reality that's been abstracted to some degree to focus on, like, like you, you abstract certain elements of reality by, like, creating some sort of representative rule set that then you're able to kind of, like, plant some sort of, like, narrative onto, some sort of logic, right, to these representational activities. And that simulation becomes, like, a ground for plain experimentation. Mm-hmm. But um, so when we think about, like, these kind of, like, abstracted communicational signals that, um, uh, uh, like, if we think about the Wojak, right, as an abstracted communication signal of, like, my identity, right, towards like other people it's like taking the most isolated forms that i would want to represent myself and then putting them onto a wojack because it's like it's kind of the the it's like i'm literally creating my identity through like uh, accessories right that Mm -hmm. i'm attaching to a default you know thing right so um uh and then like text messages emojis really all online back to that other model earlier like where it's like you know you had the the direct um uh, hereditary you had the oblique you had the oblique distributed right the new one is the oblique computer mediated communication distributed which is kind of like um uh where we're getting all of this um information from so many other different people but it's filtered through a system that removes much of the conventional social relation. It's also known as context collapse. If you've heard that term before. No, but I like it. Context collapse. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a very good, That that's something, uh, I don't know how much it relates, but this is something I was talking about on the podcast last night, where I, I think that when people talk about like irony poisoning, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that term before. It's something yeah, we I get have, accused yeah. of a lot, irony poisoning. Um, mm. I, I like the idea of context collapse because I don't think that we're post-ironic. Um, I, I think irony, I think irony died a long time ago, and yeah. a lot of the people who are coming up now, where these kids who are growing up now, where um, everything, almost all information that they've ever received is, if not directly from the internet, is mediated by the internet. Um, mm-hmm. and mediated by screens and so it's like they never really developed a concept of irony in the first place um so it's not so much it's not so much that there's irony poisoning as much as there's an irony deficiency it, like they didn't they don't have the context for irony in the first place and like to be ironic and to have satire and to have all of these things you need some cultural baseline context for that um, uh, and it, you, if, if, if Baudrillard heard you say this, he would shart and die. <laughs> <laughs> he sharted and died. Yeah, but the thing is, he sharted and died years before he actually went into the grave. I think that he, I, I think that um, sometime around the 2000s, he had, he, or 90s, he, he was like, he, he was over it. I mean, he was really, yeah. <laughs> he was as black pilled as it gets. But, yeah. um, 
What was I thinking? But yeah, what I'm saying is, is that I don't. So when people talk about irony poisoning, it, it's not. It's not because of an abundance of irony. It's because of a lack of irony. There's no. There's no context for the irony, so the irony can't occur. And so that's been something lately where I'm kind of like, I always intentionally was trying to design my memes to be as difficult to interpret as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But what's funny is, is that they end up becoming like Rorschach blots or whatever because uh, people kind of just see what they want to see and so like people just assume that i'm either their enemy or their friend based on what they think they've gleaned from a meme that i made that was intentionally confusing and contradictory that's hilarious (laughs) so you end up with really bad you end up you end up with some really um messed up parasocial relationships when when people either assume that you're an enemy or assume that you're a friend when actually my politics my real life politics are pretty boring yeah have you have you heard of the barnum effect no i don't think so that one's a really interesting one it's it's the one of the reasons why astrology and personality of tests work or at least a tendency, uh, the tendency to accept certain information as true, such as character assessments or horoscopes, even when the information is so vague as to be worthless, right? So that's kind of like the way it's phrased in relation to astrology and psychics are a big example when it's like you have like, you know, stage psychics just using really vague shit, but it's like people are so quick to allow, like, they just want things to be about them, right? And there's just, oh, it's a heuristic yeah. to assume that things are, um, right? I, 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 I did hear about this because I was watching that um, I was watching the Penn and Teller episode about uh, yeah. about astrology. And yeah, that is interesting. But then it also goes to show because I think like with astrology and the popularity of a lot of um, astrology and things that are similar to it, I, I think it's a, it's actually a folk psychology um that it's because it provides a way for people to talk about their feelings uh, mm-hmm. in a symbolic way that that's that's the real reason why it's popular. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not actually popular because it, uh, it, it's necessarily good at predicting real events, but because it's good at, yeah. um, giving you a language to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, to put in the, the other terms earlier, it's, it's, it's a, it's a game that allows you to, it's a game about communicating abstracted communicational signals, right? Mm-hmm. It's like every single thing is attached to a little piece of yourself and then you get to play around with it. And it's like everybody has their own rules to astrology, too. So that's why it's like, you know, I can bring something up about a Scorpio or whatever, right? And they're like, it means whatever. And it means whatever to somebody else, right? But by assuming, like, at least, like, it's like whatever your idea of astrology is, right, versus the other person's idea of astrology, like, the specifics can still be reconciled, right? Like, your, I guess, your ontological understanding, as long as you're both sourcing from, like, the epistemological foundation that astrology is something worth gaining information from, right? What so I, it's like that ontological reconciliation, I guess, to finish it off, that's where, like, the... That's the point is that that struggle for reconciliation is where the intimacy develops, right? It's not actually the content of astrology that matters, but what you're saying, the folk psychology element, right? The fact that you're having to do this. Yeah. Though I would also say, and this might be an interesting way to look at astrology um, online or astrology as a meme, is that astrology has hard enough symbols and hard enough rules uh, that it's, it's a it's a coherent enough language 
that it, it, it provides something that uh, you're not getting through other forms of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, like Scorpio has enough attributes as an idea that it, it actually can survive uh, being turned into a meme. Um, yeah. And that, and that's, and that, that's part of why uh, astrology has been so successful online. I, I don't know. I've never yeah. actually, I never actually thought of it that way before, but it might be an interesting, interesting way to think about it. No, uh, it is super interesting. Cause I, that actually brings up a, a thing is that it's like, if, um, uh, if you're like, yeah, I mean, cause the, the reason why, the reason why astrology works is because there's a lot of like solid epistemological tarot. Tarot is another example. That's mm. the one I was looking for, like tarot cards and shit, because those are basically like like the most explicit form of just like here's a, a Rorschach card, which I attach to like a big narrative to. And you can have different tarot sets that have different definitions for each card, but it's generally sharing like the same basic symbolism. Right. So it's like if you have, let's say I have like you know, tarot deck number one is like my epistemological foundation. And then your tarot deck number two is your epistemological foundation. And there may be some like, you know, dissonance in between the two, right? It's like another way to think of this is like, you know, my tarot card is my collection of memes, right? And my interpretation of those memes. Mm -hmm. Your tarot deck is your collection of memes, your interpretation of those memes. But we're sharing like at least a certain degree of like, you know, coherency to then be able to discuss things with each other on an ontological level, right? But the thing is, is that if you don't have enough coherency in your tarot deck with somebody else, then you can't even discuss with them on an ontological level because there's no way to communicate. You're communicating astrology versus tarot cards at that point, right? This is where I'm starting to, you know, formulate this theory of, you know, what this idiosyncratic echo bubble, uh, echo chamber formation really is, in terms of like, you know, mnemonic convergence in relation to epistemologies. Um, does that make sense or is that? No, I, I see where you're going. Though I would also point out that if you get really into the occult, um, there, the, there's going to be all types of esoteric systems where, you know, the Zodiac the and the Tarot and the Kabbalistic Tree of Life all have correspondences and form one bigger, you know, uh, uh, a cult system or whatever right and this is the other thing yeah. when, when you start having different um different ideologies or different groups of people online uh converging with each other you, you sort of you, you start to get the same sort of extended theologies and universes uh begin to develop yeah that's one thing that i've noticed and that's where you can kind of get this idea of the collective unconscious and all these different kinds of archetypes right yes but um yeah and then yeah where you go from there um uh okay um interesting what were we just talking about um uh contradictions abstract communication signals memes and communities um uh your experience with the meme communities your experience with okay how would you say see yourself as a community builder right is it like if you were to compare like Instagram as being primarily like, you know, a generator generator of parasociality, right? As opposed and, and like TikTok as the most extreme form, I guess. And then discourse as being more intimate and like the the independent variable here being like the um uh 
degree to which the system is like um like content like the how much is the content the focus as opposed to like the interactions with the people right like tiktok you have you, you have videos that have millions of views and the actual account that posted it has like three thousand followers right well, uh, instagram a bit less yeah okay so with tiktok tiktok chooses to boost certain things i think yeah. Uh, my understanding is, and this is, maybe this is a conspiracy theory, but what I've heard is that like TikTok in the West intentionally boosts um, more lowbrow content. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and stuff like that. TikTok is, is its own thing. With Instagram, you're going against the grain because like my, my Instagram page is extremely shadow banned and so is everybody else in theory gram as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally that shadow ban will go away, but you know, it's like I always say, we're, we're mall punks. Um, yeah. You know, we, like Instagram wants you to be on there to look at Kim Kardashian's ass and buy stuff and buy ads and stuff like that. They don't, they, they tolerate meme pages because it, it, it generates some revenue for them or, or some traffic for them. But it's, it's ultimately that yeah. like all these meme pages were mall punks. Like we're, we're there under sufferance. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I know I have a, a certain dedicated following. There's like, there's a few hundred people who will listen to any podcast that I post um, consistently. So I guess I have like, <laughs> a, a, that would be like probably my biggest fans, I guess. So there's people that always like any any meme I post and stuff like that. And they're greatly appreciated. Um, but then I, I, something that a lot of people noticed is, is like a little bit after the pandemic ended, um, more or less, uh, nobody was getting the same amount of followers or engagement as they used to. And yeah. my, some of that might just be because people went back to work and went back to real life and weren't spending all their time on their phones anymore. But I think it could also be that Instagram was like, okay, uh, we don't, we don't actually like these people um, taking over our platform. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely a combination of both. I mean, you hear about how Facebook recently got all those CIA, um, uh, agents to work in their content moderation uh, uh, departments um, and only those departments. There's no CIA agents who join the sales department. Um, right. uh, <laughs> but um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, you, uh, you also have, it, I was reading the study the other day about how it's like every platform has um, a different meme, like library, like what they define as a meme in terms of like just like either it's their autonomous sensors or whatever it's like there's there's um a it's like if you compare a twitter meme to an instagram meme to like based on what gets like a certain level of like virality right and like what kind of gets suppressed so it's like if we think less so of like something being a meme right and more so there being all of this content and there's like mimetic expression or i found this neologism the other day on urban dictionary the meme, right it's the negation of the meme because the as we know it's like you have all this stuff online you can think about that's like the solid myth themes right that if, if we think about levi strauss right or like the board or whatever um uh, you got all your myth themes and then you have these flows of mimetic like you know boosting right through like whatever interactions whether it's the platform itself and the algorithm and the people or the nomadic suppression in which case you have like the algorithm suppressing people the moderation system suppressing like certain content 
or even the community itself, you know, backlashing against a meme because it started to get annoying, right? Okay. You have these like, you know, these flows, processual. This I, I bring this up because thinking about it more in terms of flows and motion works with that socio um, uh, cognitive like economy model as well as like the um, uh, like the Piercean interpretation system that works with so, the bipolar madness model thing. So I'd never heard of uh, I've had, I'd never heard of the meme, the ne the the negative meme. Uh, I really like this idea. So for example, when I get tired of making memes, which I've gotten very tired of making memes recently, um, <laughs> thinking about retiring from the meme game actually. <laughs> but uh, so sometimes I'll just I'll find like a picture of like a monkey or an animal screaming. Um, and then I'll just put the word meme on top of it and I'll just post that. Would that, would you consider yeah. that a meme? A meme? Well, I guess the, the way that I would, I would see it is that it's like all of them are now, it, it's like everything is kind of in a state of being like, you know, both memetic or nemetic dependent on the discourse community that's being presented to. So it's like everything, cause it, it uh, like let's say Dawkins' original idea of the meme, right? Since it's dependent on like this this mimicry and like the high fidelity transmission as being like what you know what characterizes this form of cognitive capital transmission. Okay. And we take that away and instead say that mimeticism, right? This is just the form at like one one part of it, right? Dawkins isn't completely wrong, right? But that's just one way that it's being positively propagated, right? It's through mimicking while also like the 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 sociocognitive like um uh, capital transactions, right? But there's also stuff that you get from suppressing information. From preventing that what you're saying so there is i want it's like as opposed to being a meme right that would be um a a, a well it, there there's is a, there's a, a word kind of in between meme and meme like a meme which works as like um a, the a, a root for like the term mnemonic which is allows you to connect it to memory theory. But besides all like the linguistic fuckery, if you have this in-between thing, the meme, which is the activated form of what is like a potentialized sea of myth themes, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have these flows of mimetic expression and mimetic, uh, mimetic suppression that are kind of like, you know, allowing certain elements to propagate. So when you post that like meme, then the donkey horse face, if I'm somebody who's been exposed to you and especially has this like, you know, precedent knowledge that of, of you telling me explicitly that this is something that you do in response to having to do that other stuff. If you just put meme and then the donkey thing and posted it, then that would be a shit post, right? For a mm -hmm. lot of people and it'd still be like a positively propagated like, oh, that's a meme. Like, oh, I see, I see, fucking I see, shit I see, post I see. type of deal, right? The, the but then for thing. me with the precedent, I know that as a suppressor, you know, that's the statement to me that you actually dislike that other stuff because you're thinking about all memes as being statements to people in some kind of way, but obviously it's dependent on their deck of tarot cards that they're carrying at whatever time. Um, okay, I think I, I think I get it now. I mean, I remember. Were you familiar with the Jesse meme? What are you talking about? So there's the, there's there's Jesse and Walter White, and they're they're speaking at a um, they're talking to each other at a over pancakes over breakfast and um the, the meme the meme became whenever somebody was saying something that was too too much word salad or too much esoteric online discourse 
um, people would just put Jesse dot 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 uh, because the, the meme was Walter White didn't couldn't understand what the fuck Jesse yeah, was talking about. So he'd say, Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. So then Jesse just became short for I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. And I exactly. thought that that was funny at first because there is a lot of word salad and there's a lot of um, uh, online discourse that gets so dense and so insular that if you try to if you read it to somebody uh, outside of that discourse, it just sounds like complete madness. It sounds like glossolalia. And yeah. that meme was funny for a while, but then it just became anytime somebody heard a word they didn't understand, they would say Jesse, right? Anytime yeah. something they just didn't know about, they would say Jesse. I was like, no, that's not what the meme is anymore. So then I made a meme explaining that within, you know, using the Jesse template. Um, and then when Walter White says Jesse, I put the little delete thing over Walter White's face, right? And that was my way yeah. of saying I'm, I'm done with the Jesse meme. Yeah. So that would be a meme, right? That's like telling you, that's telling the audience we're done with this, or at least I'm done with this. Yeah, I, I would say that, that one is, it's like, it, it's, well, it, it becomes kind of a convoluted, it, it's very convoluted, the, those two terms, because it's pretty much like the meme and the meme are interrelated in the same way that like, I mean, it's based off smooth and striated pretty much, where it's like you have like the, um, uh, 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 what's it called? Like, um, or like the delusion smooth and striated. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you have, or deterritorialization, re-territorialization, like they're constantly in conjunction with each other. It's like by positing something, it's like you have this like mimetic expression in one area and the mimetic expression in another, or the suppression in another area at any given time that you make a statement that makes a difference, right? And that difference is memorability. That is like the definition of salience. Right, at least in this case, it's like mm -hmm. the difference that makes a difference. Like I think that's what I might be mixing terms here, but um, uh, that's at least one of the important things for salience, which is why you get the M N E M E becoming the default like item that's being transported. Um, because then that's the mnemonic flow. It's just all the stuff that is memorable, but in what way is it memorable? Is it memorable for the fact that it's suppressed? It's like you're remembering to not remember that thing as much, right? When you're being told that this meme is dead, right? And it, that's interesting because it does seem to 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 work. If if you uh, there's a, a network study that that I read um, uh, on collective memory about how it's like if you have a group of people, right, each told a story, and then you tell them to talk to each other about it, and then you protect their memory later on about how they like you know um uh, uh remember that story right the things that they talked about were reinforced right that makes sense but mm -hmm. then the things that were closely related to what was talked about but not mentioned that's forgotten right and then otherwise but that's forgotten at a higher rate than that which was just not talked about so that's what gets interesting is that now we see the discourse at least on the one-to-one -one dyadic communication it has like this, um, uh, what's it called, uh, abstracting effect where certain elements are raised and other things are suppressed and it's meaningful. It's not random at all. It's very goal-directed. What we bring up is important and then that becomes like the dominant view, right? And we actually start to forget all the stuff related to what was otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a way how we're able to like mnemonically converge through discourse. But another study found that on the second order um, uh, discussions. So when you're hearing things as gossip, right? Or like through other people, or it's like, you know, it, it's 
it doesn't have that same um, uh, 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 what's called retrieval induced forgetting as opposed to just like more reinforcement. So it's like we, we have this idea that everything on the Internet is promoting some kind of saliency right towards itself. But then it's like, how is that in conjunction with its surrounding environment? It's like trying to take the meme out of isolation and place it when within like the, you know, um, uh, uh, a, a, a process, you know, philosophy of, of interpretation. Um, uh, uh, so the, to wrap it back, the um, um, meme, 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 meme. If you have that Jesse meme, that's, it, it would, it would, it, 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 yeah, you know, it's suppressing um, uh, one view. Oh, oh, that's what it was. I was going to bring up the most obvious one is the Chad and the Soy Jeff, right? That's yeah, yeah, like yeah. the number one way that you can have this kind of like, you know, retrieval induced forgetting in the most, it's like, or or um, not retrieval induced forgetting, but that, that same value abstraction effect, I guess, um, uh, where you have, you know, one view is the one that's like promoted. That's That's the Chad versus the Soy which is immediately, it's like, that's just a value statement plastered on discourse. That's can, that, that's like your almost your, your cultural vote, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you think about that? Well, the whole like, uh, ironic, but actually not ironic anti-intellectualism stuff. Um, I, I think that that's because part of that is just like, Part of the Chad Sojak thing is just the uh, general right-wing anti-intellectualism, right? That's their fantasy to be like, yeah. um, might makes right. I don't need to hear whatever your nerd opinion is, post-physique, that kind of thing. But why do it's incredibly, that template is incredibly popular even among people who aren't really very right-wing at all. And that's actually very interesting to think about because what I think it is is that the whole uh, I'm going to disregard whatever your weird line of thought is um, with a one word response or something like that. That to me, I think people find that cathartic because we live in constant information overload. And that's like one of the most satisfying things you can do is say, you know, too long, didn't read TLDR or mm-hmm. um, no, or <laughs> block or ratio or whatever. Any of these like one word responses be- feel like magical words where you can, you can, you can cast out uh, information overload demons and you, you can be free of, yeah. uh, free of having to deal with somebody's uh, 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 idiosyncrasy uh solipsistic uh mumbo jumbo that's brilliant yeah interesting yeah it's that same like that seems to be the big issue in a lot of ways is that we're just everybody wants to figure out what the fuck's going on they feel like they'll be able to figure it out because everybody's talking about stuff but <laughs> it's like you know nobody's re- leading the rat pack I mean, I just one big rat king. Yes, yes. When they they all their their tails all tie together and they all starve to death because they can't yeah. agree on which direction to go in. Yeah, actually. Yeah. They, we're all we're all wearing a, a, a crown of tails. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also funny to know that like the the like the reason why the rat king I guess appears is all like tangled and crusted dookie and shit <laughs> it's just gross overload but um yeah it, it does serve an interesting model that way though where it's like you know what 
how and I, I think we've been talking for a while too, so I think this might be um, one of the last questions at okay. least. Is that how would you go about trying to build stronger community online if you if you wanted to? Right? It's like let's say right now Theory Graham is a rat king, um, tied by tails like you know, solicitous tails and like shit posts that just are bringing people together but without any sort of like intention really on a collective level to something that's more you know sophisticated but still in line with like you know what what this this you know heaven's gate type of like leaderless cult type of vibe as opposed to something trying to take top-down control i let me think here there's one is that I, I don't know if that's possible. You know, I don't know if it's actually possible to, to build a better or more coherent community. Um, and what you're saying, I feel like echoes a lot of discourse and even moral panic about what goes on online now and with memes and with all of these niche communities and stuff like that, uh, which is how, how, how can we make this uh, irrational mass into something uh, uh, productive and good? And, that might just be the wrong question. I just don't, I just don't think it's necessarily going to work that way. Um, I've tried to in, in with my podcast, you know, when I've interviewed people who have quote unquote reprehensible views or marginal views or whatever, tried to be just as non-adversarial um, as possible. And I feel like that's, you know, what I call brain origami, you know, appreciate, appreciate the aesthetics of thought without necessarily trying to get into whether or not they are metaphysically or uh, literally true. Um, Because that's most of what goes on on here is is a lot of brain origami. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what you're going to see in the very near future, it's probably already happening is you're going to see all kinds of people. Um, people like yourself who will be employed by the Republican or Democratic parties who will be employed by corporations or weird nonprofits and stuff like that. And they're going to try their hardest to come up with all of these models for how memes work and how online radical communities work. And you, you yourself might come up with a very good uh, and accurate map as, as much as it is possible to make an accurate map. But what's going to be extrapolated from that by these people in power, right, um, is some kind of magical model to make it work in your favor, right? That's going to be the holy grail yeah. for a lot of these boomers. You know, they're going, how can I make meme magic work for me? How can I How can I meme certain candidates into office? How can I meme certain products or um, ideologies yeah. into, into um, orbit, basically? And I think they're all going to fail. Okay. I think they're going, I think it's, it's, it's the last, uh, it's the last brick in the tower of Babel will be people in power thinking that they're going to harness me magic in their favor. And I think it's going to fail spectacularly because ultimately it is cat herding. It is cat herding. I, I use this term constantly when I talk about the, the people I talk with and who I interact with, uh, in, in these communities, it's all cat herding. And uh, ultimately, there is no way to herd cats. Yeah. Okay. I guess then, um, uh, what's it called? When uh, I, I, I guess when I phrase that question, it's like when you, uh, it's like, I guess, so 
we talked like when, when you brought that up it's like one thing was the you know the difficulty with building community or like that that the the, the phrasing of the question because it's like oh people just don't um uh, uh bridging is so difficult right that's a term or it's like you know bridging across communities right it's like within how you can't you know you have to do brain origami to try to like bring people over but even in that process you're creating some sort of fringe ideology that's now kind of a mixture of the two within that person since they're having to reconcile those things, I, I blah, do blah, need, blah. but um i do need to oh, clarify yeah. brain origami brain origami is more about keeping yourself sane than bringing anybody over uh, okay. to you brain origami yeah. is what i'm saying is learn to because when you live in a schizophrenic information overload uh, society for your own personal good, you're going to have to start appreciating different ideas purely on aesthetic value. Um, you, you, you can't allow yourself to get into whether or not it's metaphysically um, or materially real, right? Because that's because of the nature of the internet and because of just the nature of the world we live in today. Um, it thought and reality are, are disconnected enough that you, for your own good, that that's that's the process that you should do. Um, so that would be my solipsism, actually. <laughs> that would be my personal. See, I, though I I actually really like that. That's fantastic. Okay. Um. Uh. That's that's actually fantastic. Yeah, and, 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 and again, it can thing. it can lead you to you know it is implicitly compassionate. Um, but it doesn't require you to actually build a bridge with somebody or become best friends with them. It just means that in your yeah. interactions with them, you, you, you try to maintain a, a, a brain origami, uh, mentality. Yeah. Well, that's interesting then. So it's like bridging that that's one movement, right? And it's like, you know, building community that way. But then when, when I mentioned, when I said building community, I actually what. What I, I mostly had in mind, I didn't th I, I I didn't think about making the distinction, but it's mostly within your pre-existing like base, right? Of these like hundred followers that you have that listen to your every single thing, right? It's like within these people, it's like we understand that it's like oh, for one thing, they're consuming your content. They're probably consuming a lot of content very similar to your content as well, given that they're such like you know intense consumers of of your content, right? It's like you know. Um, uh, and then with that, you can understand that they're probably sharing a lot of the same epistemological foundation. So this is like, you know, the the, the followers, and, and this is what I've noticed through my research, is that and because what, what I started with, um, I, I was originally going to do niche micro online celebrities, but then I found out, oh, it's kind of difficult because um, uh, nobody's responding to my stuff. And then I found, then, then it was like, okay, um, uh, uh, what's called moved on to the reading groups that I'd already been in. And I was like, I'll just interview my friends in these groups. And then it rose up and then I went through a few other like discord servers. And that's the whole thing is that there's this kind of like funnel of like, you know, people pick up stuff on Instagram, right? And then mm -hmm. they'll bring it to these discord servers where they all kind of process and they're referencing this stuff. And like community is building and these people are trying to do stuff to like bring it outside of it and stuff. And it's like, it's a lot more personal um, uh, than just like the Instagram or like the least personal TikTok type of vibe, right? Mm. But they're all coupled together. It's like you wouldn't have these interactions on Discord if it wasn't for the existence of Instagram or Substack or like, you know, these other inputs, right, into this processing system. And I guess it's starting to like, kind of like, you know, these people, like this idea of like, you know, trying to create a model, a map that explains everything. It's like, that's what the people in power, it's like, that's them succumbing to their own fucking like, like MBTI, like, you know, they're not doing enough brain origami at that point. It's yes. like, 
that, that's that's when you know you get into organizational IO psychology, right? Where it's like you know trying to get the workplace to work best and not involve giving people more money. Right. <laughs> but um, uh, w- yeah, w- what I see because I, I definitely that's what I mentioned at the beginning actually is like you know as an academic I grapple with the fact that like this community especially doesn't seem to like academics right um uh, i mean it's not just a right-wing thing it's like no, 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 i mean yeah, fuck yeah. look at joshua citarella fucking asshole but so that's where this kind of thing is like when i ask you it's like oh how do you build community online it's not for me to know right i'm curious in like what you would do for your community as an individual to kind of like you know what's the next level of this kind of memetic mobilization? Because what I've been seeing in other people is this fact that you can kind of like, within these space, they become stronger outside. Of, I mean, this like, the nomadic war machine fucking Discord server, Catboy Deleuze was never on it, actually. Like, barely. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and same thing with the Red Scare. Yeah, and same thing with the Red Scare Reddit. They, 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 neither, of the, neither of the ladies actually go on there. Um, it's, yeah. it's just, it's a whole community. But like I said, that's like the heaven's gate model. Um, you know, yeah. we, 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 the, the, exactly. the, cult, the, 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 the cult becomes, uh, more devout and more radical than the leaders. Um, yeah. And yeah. so that's when I said, um, uh, when, when I was talking about, it's like, oh, how do you build community online along like those heaven gate lines as opposed to the top down? That, that's what I meant. It was like, you know, Okay, so well then somebody, the, the, the community yeah. coalesces around you. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not that you you seek them out or you you build bridges with them. It's that they, you're 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 simply able to hold their attention enough that they see you as a valuable enough meme that they're going to um, dedicate their time and energy to you, uh, which is yeah. a really weird way to think about it. But um, life is a meme. You're kind of a conduit for other people's desires. Sometimes I go weird. onto my Telegram and I'm like, what the fuck are these people talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's hilarious. But yeah, because that's a big thing. I said it's like as people are getting more online and that's like the, 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 the forecast or the, these kind of pandemic, like, you know, everybody being stuck online, it's going to be a more common thing and just, you know, in general, people are becoming more reliant on these like online communities as being, you know, actual communities. It's like people are mm-hmm. taking it seriously now, especially when you have events that are starting to bridge the gap, even though these events are like cringe as fuck, right? Like y'all, the like the fucking Urbit, Red Scare, Dime Square, all that hyper online, whatever. It's like, even though they're cringe as fuck, they're still bringing online culture into the offline and being able to like, you know, have these real life like rituals and if we want to get into bataille and like all that like you know mystical eroticism stuff and how it relates to symbol consolidation uh, yeah it's like you know it it makes sense but also it doesn't have to be like you know centralized there there just has to be the right methodologies for people to be able to you know figure out how to relate to each other online without running into the wrong crazy people and like you know weird dangerous stuff um uh, i don't know there's something interesting about it but um yeah what would how, yeah how would you structure a discord server or or um, I, uh, I i maintained a discord yeah. server for a little while um you know it, it, but it's just like again it, it's all it's all cat herding and actually like at least with the urbit model where it's like we're gonna have 
a stripped down version of the internet and then we're actually going to hang out in real life um that's that would probably be in my opinion that would be the best way forward yeah um and i, I also think that um the I, i've said before the no phoner is coming Okay, the no phoner will be yeah. the new vegan, the the person who, uh, you know, only buys a, a old style phone um, as a way of of dropping out of society, uh, you know, as or as a way of avoiding uh, all of the problems that uh, social media creates. I, I think that I think that that's coming, and I think you'll find the extremely rich are already doing it. They are raising their kids without phones because they understand yeah. that it's actually poison and, and, and what it does. Um, and then you'll also have people at the bottom of society who are basically poor enough that uh, they don't need a damn phone and they, they, they get no pleasure from it anyway. Um, yeah. So, so they'll leave. So you'll see Urbit is one model of Exodus. You'll probably see others. Um, and yeah. actually that stuff is exciting to me. Um, I'm very interested to see where that goes, but. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that's going to go down. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think is so interesting is that it's like, it, it all comes down to like, you know, what Urbit is, is really just a set of like different protocols, right? To distribute information collectively, as opposed to what is right now. It's like why the internet sucks is because it's so, you know, controlled. It, these algorithms that nobody understands really that are just so predictive, that are so focused on just, you know, fucking advertising. Right, <laughs> it's right. Like, it's all right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I, th I think about, like, other knowledge systems, and especially, like, personal knowledge systems. I don't know. If you know, like, Orgrom or, like, Obsidian or, um, uh, uh, it was a, a weird one called, like, I forget what it was called. Some... It was like some open source homemade one, but like um, these kind of ways to better like um, consume information, I guess, to not get the same kind of like, you know, um, delusionary amnesia that just results in. To, know, to, to avoid the, like, the endless dopamine convection feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. Endless dopamine convection feedback loop. I love that. Um, uh yeah, it's like, it's, it's, and what, what I think, at least from my research into addiction studies, is that the best way to get away from that stuff is through, um, a, like, more legitimate community. It's like, we'll tend towards, especially for something that's so focused on, like, you know, Instagram and all this kind of stuff, is that if there can be a platform that's able to offer a better sense of community in a consistent way, that's how you supersede Instagram. And that just fits with, with addiction. That's how you supersede TikTok and all this kind of stuff. That will choose friends over Instagram, especially if they're talking about Instagram and the memes and stuff like that already, right? Yeah. And then it's kind of figuring out ways to create like these more protected filters onto, I don't know. In, in the end, no matter what you do, somebody's going to eat it up and slap ads on it. So, um, I guess maybe the hope is with stuff like Urbit where it's like at least you control your own data. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, is you do you have any more questions? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think that's all good. Um, uh, you have anything else to say? No, I think I got in everything I needed. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much, though. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. I, I can't tell you, you know, I, I lived in Santa Cruz for a number of years, and it, it, it was funny. I, I told my friends that 
someone someone from Santa Cruz, my old Santa Cruz buddies, I told them, hey, someone from uh, UCSC wants to uh, interview me about niche online political communities, and we're all joking that I'd, I'd come full <laughs> circle. So. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, well, I hope you're doing good, um, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again or something like that. But. But what about the city of the day after tomorrow, say the year 2000? I think it will be completely different. In fact, it may not even exist at all. Oh, I'm not thinking of the atom bomb and the next Stone Age. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough which has been made possible by developments in communications, particularly the transistor and, above all, the communications satellite. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other, wherever we may be, where we can contact our friends anywhere on Earth, even if we don't know their actual physical location. It will be possible in that age, perhaps only 50 years from now, for a man to conduct his business from Tahiti or Bali, just as well as he could from London. In fact, if it proves worthwhile, almost any executive skill, any administrative skill, even any physical skill, could be made independent of distance. I am perfectly serious when I suggest that one day we may have brain surgeons in Edinburgh operating on patients in New Zealand. When that time comes, the whole world will have shrunk to a point, and the traditional role of the city as a meeting place for man would have cease to make any sense. In fact, men will no longer commute. They will communicate. They won't have to travel for business anymore. They'll only travel for pleasure. I only hope that when that day comes and when the city is abolished, the whole world isn't turned into one giant suburb.